When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you have championship DNA, then you know it's time to chase wins. We're uh, chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. Hello and welcome back to the Chasing Wins podcast. I'm your host, Andre, here with Jim again. Um, I appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, and download the Odyssey app just in case you haven't already to get uh, a live feed of, of every episode that when we drop. Um, and today we're going to be discussing a few things uh, in terms of the Warriors' direction, starting with Mike Dunleavy being hired recently as our new GM in place of Bob Myers, who uh, essentially stepped down at, in that position last month. Um Jim, what are your thoughts in terms of Bob leaving and then um, obviously the, the news today being Dunleavy stepping in? Uh, well, I had a problem with, you know, the season is finally over and I've just been kind of cooling off. <laughs> it's been a long season. Uh, obviously, we had a – well, I had a problem with Bob. I had a problem with Steve. I had a problem with a lot of things that happened this year, but – you know, obviously Bob stepped down and I feel like, I feel like Bob in some sense, I, I feel bad because it felt like his hands were tied. If Joe Lakeup doesn't want to trade the kids, then Bob can only do so much. Right. So was he given a proper opportunity to do his job or was he, you know, were his hands tied behind his back? You know, it, you know what I'm saying? Like if he wanted to make a trade, but the owner doesn't want you to, what even, what is your job exactly? You know, people talk about, oh, Bob Myers is a very good um, people person and he has a really good relationship with the players. And well, that's all great, but how does that actually help the team other than maybe him, I don't know, quote unquote, uh, containing Draymond when he's emotional or something like this, you know what I mean? Um, so uh, a part of me feels kind of bad for him, but I'm not 100% sure that he couldn't make any deals because we heard at the deadline, right, that there was a trade available for OG and they asked for Kuminga and his inclination was to say no. So my question is, was it his inclination or was it Joe Lakers' inclination? Yeah. Yeah. The problem with that is they traded Wiseman at the trade deadline, which kind of tells you a sense of like, okay, we're going to have to give up on this two timeline thing to some extent, right? So if you're willing to give up Wiseman, that would lead me to believe that if there was a good trade out there to give away Kuminga, then that opportunity could have been had. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so... Yep. It's really tough to say, but I feel like if you are on that job, then then 
it's on you to figure out a way to get things done, you know, and convince the owner that these things need to be done. Uh, so ultimately, Bob didn't want to deal with a number of things. It seems like he doesn't want to deal with the upcoming contracts of Clay or Draymond. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he has just such a great relationship with them. And that in this case is probably not a good thing because you have to be objective. You have to be able to tell hard truths and be like, hey, Clay, like you just had this postseason. Um, def defensively, there are some issues here. You're not the player that you once were. Like, can you, can Bob have those conversations and get like a reasonable contract, you know, get them to re-sign with the team for a reasonable deal? Um, same thing for Draymond too, right? Uh, who's, whose uh, contract is coming up sooner. Is that right? So Yeah, his contract expires uh, this summer. Um, so they got to work on a new extension. Um, yeah. or what, what, here, Actually, let me rephrase that. He can opt out, so he has the ability to opt out. If he opts exactly. in, he has one more year, then it expires next, next summer. Right. But he has the uh, opportunity to opt out and work on an extension mm -hmm. this summer. Okay. Yeah. So – who knows what the relationship with Mike Dunleavy is like? We know we don't know too much about Dunleavy other than him as a former player. Um, and he was a pretty decent player. Uh, I know Warriors fans hate him because of the you know time period in which he played for them. I think he played with like Troy Murphy and just there wasn't a lot going on around that time. Um, and there was a lot of criticism thrown at those players. But, you know, for this for what we're talking about, that's not really so relevant. I, I know some fans still have like harbor that those hard feelings towards Dunleavy, but Dunleavy is already a part of the organization, so it's not exactly you know something super fresh and new because he's already there. He was word is that he was responsible for wanting Jordan Poole. Um, what else? What else is there when it comes to uh, Mike? I think I mean he, he wanted... worked under he worked under Bob's wing for years. Like this isn't anything that is uh fresh or comes to us comes as a surprise mike dunleavy uh was i believe he was the vice president um of basketball operations um or or something he was like the second uh tier gm he was a hot he was a high level team executive and he would be, he had been he's a close friend with bob first of all that's that's number one him and bob go back a long time and there's a reason bob wanted him on his staff. Uh, and as a team executive, Mike Dunleavy, the, I guess, like you said, the number one uh, contribution that we could point to is Jordan, that number 28 pick, which he pushed for, for Jordan Poole, um, which turned out to be a good, a great pick. I know Jordan has his flaws and, you know, up and down, up and downs these last few years, but uh, given that pick and given what he's contributed, especially in 22 uh, in 2022, uh, that pick was a home run. And, I also want to say, like, Dunleavy, again, this isn't something that's necessarily, you know, out of thin air. After 2019, Bob Myers was thinking about leaving uh, or kind of re reassessing his position on the Warriors and thinking about his future. And Dunleavy, again, was somebody that was floated at that time as, you know, someone that Bob was close with and who had, who had, who had spoken to because this isn't the first time Bob thought about leaving. So, um you know, this this has been in the works for years. This isn't a sudden change necessarily. Dunleavy's been groomed under under Bob's wing. Um, and we'll see what happens in terms of, you know, uh, whether he'll be aggressive and tempering expectations and whatnot. But 
What I can say for sure is that he is not unfamiliar with what is required of the job, and he's been around the team and this the uh, you know the war rooms when it comes to draft uh, drafting and and negotiations and understanding what it takes and what's involved in the process as a GM. So um, this trend, the transition, I expect to be smooth. And Bob is going like like Lakeup said, Bob is going to be worked till the bone until June thirtieth. So I still think Bob might have a, another ace up his sleeve, um, possibly uh, till that point. You know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they say that, but who knows what's actually going on? What decisions he's actually making? Like I said, we don't even know like if his hands were tied or not uh, through all these, you know, trade deadlines. Um, and uh, what was the buyout market and all these things? Nothing really happened. It was a very disappointing year. Uh, y- you know me. I-, I was begging for a power forward pickup, you know, of, of somebody who could replace that auto, whatever, right? And it just never happened. I, you know, I-, I got desperate enough to want Nerlens Noel, who I thought would be very helpful for the Warriors and the playoff come playoff time, uh, you know, depending on what series you're dealing with. And yeah, I mean, if you have him, maybe you don't run a four-guard lineup in the playoffs, and maybe you're not as compromised. You notice how the Heat, you know, they, it's kind of funny. You look at the Heat, and they're very similar uh, in terms of certain concepts, the way they yeah. play uh, in comparison to the Warriors. They also run this four-guard lineup thing. They ran small all year long, but I think along the way, they realized that it's not really working. That doesn't work for the, mm-hmm. you know, long haul. So, they went and got Kevin Love in the bio market. They went and got Cody Zeller, who both played a role in the playoffs, right? Without those guys, they the, the Heat probably would have been too small, right? So there are segments of games where you need some size yep. so that you, you're not getting destroyed on the interior because you're playing like a 6'3 guy at power forward or something like that. So it, it's funny, you know, watching the Heat kind of uh, operate in a similar way as the Warriors. Um, but that kind of showed, you know, more than anything that adjustments needed to be made. It was so obvious that the Warriors needed size, right? And the difference between the Warriors yep. and the Heat is that the Heat were willing to make, you know, a move once they realized things weren't working out, whereas the Warriors did not. So Dunleavy has an opportunity to prove himself, see what he's, you know, I, I see kind of rumors about which decisions were kind of his or, what he favored or something along those lines, like Jordan Poole being like his idea yep. or something. I also heard that like he wanted Denny over Wiseman. Mm. Um, I, I think he was pro Wagner over Kuminga. So I don't know how true those things are. Because you think about it, right? System fit. And even though Jordan on paper isn't necessarily like, if you w- looked at his game, he, he's kind of like a shooter sort of off the ball, but like, He's kind of a streaky, like in college, he was like very streaky. Um, but there was some something there, right? And Dunleavy kind of saw that. I didn't see this, the shot creation, the the handle, the, you know, the skill work. But maybe Dunleavy did, but definitely like you could see some sort of fit with Jordan's ability to just be a microwave type, type of scorer um, in college that could translate to the NBA. But I will say this, the Avdia and the, uh, the, the Wagner uh, picks, the preferences in, in that sense, those were more system fits than Wiseman and Kaminga. Like, 
Avdia was a guy that can that can rebound, connector, can pass a little bit, can hit an open shot, defend pretty well, multi-positional, small ball four, small ball. You know what I'm saying? Like he's kind of like a wing. Uh, and then you look at Wagner, who's like a guy who literally is what Avdia is, but like even better. Like can guard one through four, can slide his feet, um, super active, just a great cutter, screen setter, can you know play off the ball. And these guys, like like you said, positional fits, positional size, and versatility. Whereas Wiseman's kind of like a five, but kind of plays like a four almost because he's very um, perimeter oriented. He, uh, you know, and and that fit never really worked. And then Kaminga, obviously, uh, there's some potential there, obviously, because he's a very um, athletically gifted player with the with the defensive side of things and and uh, above the rim and all that, but. From a stylistic standpoint, you know, he's a player that kind of needs the ball in his hands, right, to really get the best out of him. Um, whereas the other guys that were available at the time, even Halliburton is a guy that um, the Warriors were looking to dra- trade down for. But, yeah, I mean, as the GM, you know, you're going to make some big decisions. Uh, I, like you said, uh, Bob was pretty conflicted with having not only Lakeup in his ear, but also Steve. Because Steve was anti, you know, youth movement. He wanted to, he 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 proved it in his rotations in playing Anthony Lamb over Kaminga and playing Ty Jerome over Moody. And where there, while there's positional, you know, differences there and whatnot, like the concept of abandoning your draft picks for two-way players is something that is intentional and is something that was to essentially send a message to the front office that I am not going to endorse nor subscribe to the this personnel that you've provided me with. So Steve is very strong-minded and strong-headed when it comes to um you know really emphasizing the fact that he will not uh embrace any any players on on the roster other than, you know, vet, veterans who can contribute in the now, who are smart, you know, seasoned. They know how to play the game and his style of play, like an Otto, Bielitsa, Damian Lee to a lesser extent, JTA, right? And having lost those pieces, like, yeah, we got GP2 back, but ultimately we never truly replaced the Otto position. And that's where, like, you know, the GM is going to have to figure out, Dunleavy, uh, he's going to have to figure out how do I balance what Lakeup wants, what Steve wants to make this team, uh, you know, to optimize this team for a chi- for a title run. And speaking of that, right, the direction of the team, um, ha- you know, obviously we, we hired Dunleavy, but there have been some tidbits and nuggets of information that have come out the last week about what the Warriors are doing from an activity standpoint what they have been searching and prodding for in the in the you know um, marketplace in the space of you know gauging and and assessing value uh, they they uh, dangled Kaminga in number nineteen to see what what that could get them from a top ten pick standpoint around the league trying to see maybe if they can get higher up in the draft which in my mind is to ultimately get a, a bigger asset. Right, because you saw with uh, GP two, right? They essentially that wasn't a linear trade. That was there was a buffer involved trading Wiseman to Detroit, uh, Sadiq Bay, right, going to Atlanta from Detroit, five second rounders going to the Warriors from Atlanta, and then ultimately those second rounders going to Portland for GP two, 
who goes to the Warriors. So that kind of, you know, manipulation and creativity um, is maybe on display with the Kaminga news because you're, you're hearing these things about, um, you know, dangling Kaminga number 19, trying to see if they can move up in the draft, I'd assume, for a, an even better improved asset to entice uh, a team, um, you know, to to accept a, a package deal for, for a blockbuster move is what I'd assume. And then we also heard yesterday Jonathan Gavoni, who actually broke the previous news, Draft Express works for ESPN, basically saying that the Warriors are scouring the market. The, they're, they're being aggressive. They've been aggressive. Kaminga's name has been floated out there. And their direction has been pretty clear, which is they're looking for older vets who can contribute in the now, guys who can pass, cut, as well as defend off the ball. Those were his words. Um, and they're looking to move away from the, the younger, the youth movement that they have in place. They're looking to win and contend next season and beyond. And it seems that the new direction of the team, as I suspected, by the way, because of Slater's smokescreen article that came out a few weeks ago about running it back, which people seem to you know eat up. Uh, and then there's some other news that, that has been floated around, but none of which I bought because ultimately the first news that broke as soon as we got eliminated was Kaminga and Jordan Poole's name, names being uh, the ones floated from a trade and improvement standpoint. And then you talk about throughout the season, the, the common denominators in terms of the friction that may be in, in um, within the locker room stemming from them, just opportunity playing time, and 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 things of that nature, and to to no fault of their own, because they're young, they're young players that are looking for extensions, that are looking for money, and they deserve playing time to to develop and get better. And Steve refused to play them. And on top of that, uh, just a last note: Steph giving a speech pre-game seven against the Kings, which it was noted intentionally and specifically that it was directed towards two young players, Kaminga and Jordan Poole. Uh, that pregame speech saying, don't get on the bus if you're not ready to compete and if you're not for what this, you know, for winning on this team. Uh, just, a, you know, a lot of information, a lot of, um, you know, clues throughout the season. But now you're starting to get harder, uh, you know, more definite, um, you know, direction and, and information leading to that uh, pre-draft. So what are your thoughts on that overall? Uh, so that's a lot. <laughs> um, I would say, well, let's lump in this Dunleavy situation and what they need to do kind of moving forward, which is guys like Kuminga, Jordan Poole, like moves have to be made. Guys have to be moved off the roster. And I guess, you know, that that's now Dunleavy's job doing something with the pick. Uh, drafting somebody or trading it, you know, that's all on him now, right? So I guess kind of let's take a look at some of the things that Dunleavy, as the GM of the Warriors, uh, you know, has on his plate. For me personally, I still think Steve Kerr is an issue. Uh, they need to do something about that. I don't know if they're going to lose Kenny Atkinson to another coaching position or not, but I think he needs to be replaced either way. They've already uh, replaced the the development coach, right? Um, and I think Atkinson may may go somewhere. I, that's been a rumored for a while, so we'll see what happens with that. But if you're not, my preference is that they move on from Steve. 
You know, they need a, a breath of fresh air, a new voice, somebody who can impact a guy like Draymond in a different way, maybe um, somebody who can develop all the talents on the team and try to get, you know, try to maximize everybody and not sabotage the team one way or another for personal reasons. I just think those are fundamentally it's not right to do things like that as the coach. You always have to do what's best for the team, not put yourself and your ideologies and your thoughts above what is actually best for the team. Like not playing Kuminga, I, I understood. You you of all people should know kind of how I feel about Kuminga. Um, I had said all along that he, like, we're hoping that he will be ready. But I had my fears that he may not be ready because the things that he's not good at, they don't just, those things don't just go away. Um, they don't just suddenly get developed within a year or two, even right. Sometimes you, what you don't have coming into the league takes, you know, at least half of your career, if not all of your career to try to develop. Um, that's what it is. You come into the league for a reason because you have certain attributes. Um, and then whatever attributes you don't come into the league with, Typically, what ends up happening is that those are just not your strengths. You know, it's kind of like JJ Redick trying to develop a handle coming into the league as a shooter, but doesn't have a handle. You know, that doesn't just come because you work on it for a year or two. You know what I'm saying? So, Kerr doesn't have the ability to kind of um, make the adjustments as necessary. I agree with him that the youth movement is no good. And if you want to try to win championships, having a bunch of 20-year-olds is not the answer. I agree with him on that. Having said that, it's still better It's still better to play Kuminga than playing four-guard lineups where you are severely compromised from a defensive standpoint. Um, if you have to deal with some inconsistencies with him rebounding and stuff like that, um, you know, you deal with that. That's still better than fundamentally losing out because you're just too small. Right? That That's a... That's a bigger deal that you have to make an adjustment to. And Kerr refused to do that in the name of, I don't want to play the kid, right? Because he made a mistake and one play against the Kings. And now you're just not going to play him at all. I, I, because you gave, you gave him a lot of minutes and you played him a lot to prepare him for the playoffs. And, you know, you, you have to kind of, you know, go through the bumps of that, even if there are some mistakes, even if it is the playoffs. In normal situations, I wouldn't accept. I would if he's not doing fundamental things. I, I'm okay with sending him, but when you're in a situation where like Moody is your power forward or like GP two is your power forward, you're playing too small, right? You have no choice. So uh, Kerr is not able to or willing to make certain adjustments that are still best for the team at the end of the day. And so I, you know, I'm I have concerns that that's not going to change you know, as long as he's around. But if they're not willing to move Kerr, if they're not willing to move on, I understand it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, then they need to hire that elite assistant, that Mike Brown replacement now, right? Because mm -hmm. they've had him for how long? They've had him since 2017, right? And so that's after the 2016 gaffe where Kerr blew a 3-1 three, lead, right? Uh, where he made very poor decisions uh, you know, like playing easily, playing Veraja. We all know what the deal is with 2016, right? Those mistakes didn't really happen once Mike Brown came on board.
They would play more pick and rolls in the playoffs. That right, we all knew coming into this season that yep. that's that with Warriors bread and butter. That when it comes to playoff time, they're gonna ditch all the bullshit and do what's right and do what's best. And, and that's always pick and roll with Draymond playing center, right? And Mike Brown was not on the team this year, and that did not consistently happen in the playoffs the way it did last year, right? Last year, what happened in the first round? First thing, they they played pick and roll against Jokic, and they had yep. massive success, right? The, not just any pick and roll, but high pick and roll against the center, all right? And that concept seems seemed to have gone away, you know, uh, from the Warriors without Mike Brown. I don't know if you noticed that, but to me, some of the things that were going on in the playoff scheme-wise was pretty shocking because we didn't see that coming. We all thought that, hey, Steve Kerr gets serious when it when the playoffs come around and he's yeah. going to play, you know, maximize Steph Curry uh, possessions. And yeah. that just, yeah, that didn't happen. So I feel that the Warriors need a voice, a definitive voice and a powerful one. And I think Mike Brown was definitely that uh, alongside a guy like her who needs that guidance, who still needs that guidance. He show, He proved it this year. So that's another thing on the plate for Mike Dunleavy. Um and then obviously there are the players. You got Poole, you got Kaminga, you got Moody. I don't want to lump Moody in there because I like Moody. I think we both like Moody since his rookie year. But mm-hmm. I, I, in terms of his willingness to fit in any way, right, play, willing to play whatever role is asked of him without complaining about the minutes and whatever. But we also know at this point that he's not happy, right? Like the kids don't like Steve Kerr just as much as Steve Kerr doesn't want to play them. Right. So given these kind of misfits uh, and that also goes for Rollins, who what is his role with the team? Nothing. He's going to have no role next year. Right. That's a waste of roster space. So I just named four guys that Dunleavy has on his plate that needs to be gone, essentially. And then you have Dante, you have Jermichael Green, you have Lamb. These guys are pretty much going to be out of here. I, I believe either way. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe you think they'll they'll hold. Maybe Dante will stay another year. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, he'll test the market. Um, he might get like three years. You know, twenty four million somewhere. Yeah, I wish him the best. Right. I think he needs to go because you can't have GP in there and also have Dante in there. I think that's too small. I if, agree. If you, if I you, think you got to replace it with a wing. You need, yeah, you need a wing there. Yeah. Exactly. So you need to replace Dante with that wing. Um, and I, I, Lamb is just bad vibes, you know, with the fans. It just it, there's too much drama there with that guy. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's an okay he's an okay um, two way piece, I would say. You know, in in a pinch in an emergency, he's a you know he has experience as a three year college vet. And it, the longer you stay in college, the more fundamentals you learn, the more you come into the NBA ready to contribute right away because you're defensively, you're sound, right? That's typically three, four year college uh, players. But again, so I like Ty Jerome, actually. If they get rid of uh, Jordan Poole, I like Ty Jerome as a replacement backup point guard. I think he played a really good role for the Warriors when he was given that role. He shot 50-40-90 essentially, which is that's not easy to find, yeah. right? For that cheap. And great playmaking too. 
right playmaking just has good common sense he's a perfect uh steve kerr system kind of guy and the funny thing about him is that he's really good in the pick and roll and he seems to use it copiously even though he's running the steve kerr system it's kind of funny i I, you know i noticed him using it more and he was very effective so i kind of like him but i just named like seven guys that need to be off the team four young guys and three vets if you want to call it that right so that's a lot of bodies to move and that's a lot of you need to get creative in terms of the pieces that you're going to bring back and then what are you going to fill it with right what type of players even if it's uh vet minimum players like one two million dollar players um you can kind of scour the league and find gems the way the heat do you know with a guy like um what's his name um Gabe uh, Vincent, Struess and Jackson. yes, Vincent and yeah. uh, Struess, like those are really cheap guys that they found that are two-way players, you know, uh, like 3D types. So if Dunleavy is super intense and super serious about filling the roster with really good pieces, then, uh, you know, we'll see what he can do. But there are seven pieces that I just named that I think have to be moved, right? So that's a lot of moves to be made. So we're, we're going to find out. Absolutely. I think, um, like you said, the roster has its own issues. I think getting Steve and Lake up on the same page, kind of, um, I'm not sure where, where they stand at this point, but I know Bob, Bob felt like he, one thing that stood out from the, from the press conference that Bob had, um, was he was saying multiple times, like, if I can't do my job to the best of my ability or how I know best to do it, then, then I, then I just can't do it. I just won't, I'm just not going to do my job if I can't do it. So Bob needs the right tools and the right um, empowerment behind him to be able to do what he wants. And with the conflict from coach to owner, like I think that really um, was the, the reason why Bob just ended up uh, deciding to, to part ways. I think that was one of the main reasons. And I think Dunleavy's job is, is going to be just to get, you know, at least some, some agreement, some, you know, some um, common ground between Kerr and Lakeup so that they can decide on, you know, what, what we're going to do uh, from a development standpoint. Because you still want a couple of young players on the team. Uh, not too many, but you don't want to just go completely veteran because then at that point uh, you have no fresh legs throughout the season. You want... See, I would like Moody and PBJ to stay if they can, but if you're getting a Siakam and that's what it requires and and you can get Caruso and Siakam, let's say in like a three-team deal or whatever, then you're going to make that move. But if you can try to get real pieces and you end up keeping a PBJ or Moody throughout the year, maybe they can give you, you know, a combined 13, 14 points a night and contribute in just spots because they're not demanding, right? They don't they don't necessarily need the ball. They're role players. They embrace that. They embrace, you know, the the dirty work, uh, just contributing w- where they can. They're not necessarily demanding of the basketball and and uh, things of that nature. They they just they they embrace the role player mentality. So, um, you know, Kaminga, it's going to be tough because he definitely wants to carve out a role, and he's in line for like a lot of money, right? And so Steve is playing with with that as well. Um, and I know, you know, there's a difference between 60 million and a hundred million, which is a a big difference. 
So they're going to have to, you know, they're probably going to decide quite soon um, as to what they're going to do with him specifically. Forget $60 million. Steve Kerr has turned him, turned Kuminga into, like, you know, the value of a maybe like a 15 to $20 million player from a long-term yeah. contract standpoint, mm. right? So he is... He's ruining, he's ruining the value of the players. You know, that's essentially what he did with Kuminga by not playing him at all, which yep. basically meant he's an empty roster space and worthless. Yes. Um, so you know, that's bad. And that's, I think, Kuminga, just like Wiseman, deserves an opportunity to at least show what he has, right? And obviously he's shown, already shown the things that he can do from a... Uh, athletic standpoint like you said being able to finish around the rim like just so easily comically easily uh, a special finisher around the rim has uh definitely has really great poa potential um and his offensive game you know obviously he's working on that right but unfortunately for the warriors like it's unless he's starting that's not what they need from him they just need him to be do the fundamental things uh play the power forward position uh, be able to hold ground defensively, which means he has to consistently rebound, rebound not yeah. every once in a while here and there. But it's all messed up. You can't ask a guy to be out in the perimeter, play POA, and go get rebounds at the same time. It's a very nonsensical thing. You're out in the perimeter. How are you supposed to consistently rebound, right? Just doesn't make sense. So you know, find, find a team for him where he can actually grow, show starter potential, you know, you see all these highlights of him being able to do all these various things as a scorer. Well, if that's what he wants to be, uh, you know, he needs a different team uh, to focus on those things without feeling like he has to do all these other things that are meant for certain types of role players. Uh, although, you know, if you're a really good player, you should be doing that anyway. You should be rebounding and all these things anyway. Like, you know, Kuminga, that he needs to get that through his head. If he wants to be an actual relevant player in the league, and uh, contend in the playoffs and beyond and all these things, you have to be fundamentally sound. There's no other way to put that, right? So I'm hoping that he he continues to develop those things. But his value, like what he wants for his future, it just doesn't work with the Warriors. He's never going to start for the Warriors unless something happens to Wiggins. Wiggins has three more years left on his contract. Is Kuminga going to continue to come off the bench and play 15 20 minutes per game like is that what he wants for his career i don't think so right yeah so warriors fans don't want to move him just because they love the potential oh he's gonna be the next Kawhi and all this kind of stuff right but you're dreaming how is he gonna be the next Kawhi on the warriors he's not right it literally impossible you coming off the bench and playing a limited role you're not gonna be Kawhi. what are you talking about be real uh, maybe on a different team he has the potential to be something but not with the warriors so make it right. Make it right for both parties. Help the Warriors uh, with viable pieces and let JK grow and uh, grow his brand, his ability to make money, uh, his ability to set himself for the rest of his life without his reputation and all these things getting compromised on a championship caliber team. Let me ask you this. Um, I want to move on to more specifics, right? So we kind of understand like the mentality of the team. Uh, you know, obviously breaking down like, what necessarily has to happen and change in terms of direction. But what do you, from a, um, from a, you know, more specific, tangible standpoint, 
would you expect the Warriors to do in terms of a name or in terms of an archetype of player to that we're going to go after? Um, I can tell you this, based on what I've been reading, hearing, uh, just what's been floated around, my best, uh, I would guess that draft night, a move is going to be na- is going to be made. I would, I would put money on that. Why would I put money on that? Because from a logistic standpoint, if you look at the the way things are structured, right? We have our pick. We have the nineteenth pick, and other teams that are going to be involved are going to want are going to have other picks involved throughout the draft. Woj apparently said that he's going to cover. Um, he's not going to cover the draft picks this year. He's going to cover trades and he's going to cover uh, like fit and team and, you know, based on the trades and, and how other players uh, fit based on, you know, the movement that happens around the league. So when you think about that stuff, and then when you think about the fact that any trade partner that we have requires us to know who they want for that pick. So if it's the 19th pick, well, we can't make it after the draft. If they want, let's say we trade Kaminga in 19 for a higher pick. Well, we can't pick that player after the draft. Um, that 19th pick is not going to be used. It's just not. Not for us. It's going to be used to get to gain an asset. Now, in what form that asset comes in, whether it's packaging it with players or you know trading up to package for another player, whatever that looks like, that 19th pick is going to be manipulated in some sort of way to essentially uh, get better with the roster overall. So with that being said, I that's why I, I highly expect on draft night for a move or two to be made because the 19th pick with the young dudes, right? And other teams are going to want their want to pick certain players based on who's available. Uh, and we're in a rush because free agency, it's too late. Free agency is not that deep, right? You got, we only have the veteran minimum available to us. We don't have the MLE. We don't have a trade exception. We, I mean, we only have the veteran minimum. Now, who's available for that? Not a ton of names. There's really not a ton of options and and high level names like an Otto Porter that would take the minimum on a prove it deal, or even Dante for an MLE. We don't even have that available to us. Uh, now think about this. The best case scenario for me in free agency is probably going to be Tory Craig, because if you look at all the names that are available, no player is as versatile from a defensive rebounding and shooting standpoint as him. And he's already making 5 million. So he would need, need to take a pay cut just to join us on the minimum. Now I wouldn't expect him to, to even come to us. Uh, Yuta Wat- Watanabe is another name, but again, I don't expect him to make the minimum. I, he's a three year $18 million player. Then you look at a guy like Trey Lyles. I expect him to stay, stay with Sacramento. These guys are pretty solid role players. Once you move past these names, there aren't that many you know, great options out there that are available. And we would have to take a flyer on a couple to really see like, you know, the only other name I could think of is Adario Saric, but he's not necessarily a playoff piece. He's more so of a regular season by minutes type of player. So, Most, if you think about it, most avenues to get better are going to have to be via trade. If we are going to trade, it would most likely include or involve Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, possibly PBJ, and the 19th pick. Any combination of those five assets. 
Now, again, on draft night, that 19th pick is not going to be used for another 18-year-old or twenty, even 21-year-old. Like, I highly expect that 19th pick to be packaged in some form or fashion with our young players to acquire a at least solid championship-level piece. I believe Jordan Poole is the odd man out. I believe the Warriors want to keep Kaminga if they can. But if Kaminga, yeah, I, I, I think Jordan Poole is the odd man out. I think if Kaminga has to go, they'll let him go. But I think if, because here's the thing with the OG trade, I think they want to try to get OG without Kaminga. I think they want to try to trade with Jordan Poole, 19, and see if they can keep Kaminga with OG with Wiggins. Now, is that ideal? I don't know. But based on the movement and based on the, the noise that I've been hearing, they're willing to part ways with all of the young players, but they would prefer to keep Kaminga if they can. Um, but like I said, if you wait after the draft, that 19th pick, whoever that converts into becomes useless because you would need to partner with a team that actually wants a player, that specific player that you pick. The, the value of trading the 19th pick on draft night is so that the team you traded to actually wants or picks the player they want. So again, when you consider all these moving parts, plus the CBA, the changes that are made from that standpoint, and the fact that the CBA, certain money, certain trades, uh, the restrictions that are made, and 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 money in, money out, things of that nature, it is, it's probably ideal to, to offload your assets while they're still you know, fresh and, and, and then from that standpoint, as opposed to waiting after that, after the fact, and then trying to, you know, figure out what the movement's going to be. So I think draft night's going to be chaos, not only for Warriors fans, but for, for across the league, but I think the Warriors best bet. And I think what I would expect is for them to actually make a tangible move on draft night, maybe two. Um, that's, that's my feeling because again, free, once you wait past free agency, not a ton of options to get better. And the market might dry up. If you wait right on draft night, teams are going to be active regardless and aggressive. If they make their moves, if Siakam's gone, maybe OG's gone, maybe this guy, that guy, and you run out of options and now you're left with a dry market, now you may have to overpay for who's left and available, which is not ideal. I think the Warriors, based on all accounts, have been aggressive, which tells me that it's most likely they make a move on the most aggressive night of the season, draft night. What are your thoughts? And and are there any players that you think maybe, you know, you would like the Warriors to look at? For me personally, OG Ananobi uh, is the number one name that I think we're, we're kind of, you know, that's that's probably the most realistic option, and that's a, a, a player that we're going to revisit, I think, in the, in the coming days. I think those talks are going to heat up. What are your thoughts? So we're going to find out what Mike Dunleavy is made of. Uh, you know, we can – Everything is a guessing game at this point, but you know, we logically speaking, it makes sense to move the 19th pick and try to whatever the case may be, move up or either way, trade, find a way to trade it. Uh, because there is no point to have the Warriors draft a new player, that there's no point that would just add on to the another kid. player that Steve Kerr is not going to play. Yeah, it makes no sense. So I think everybody can figure that out at this point. So, so yes, I think hopefully we'll see some trades for the Warriors come 
uh, draft night, which is, like you said, very soon. So we're going to have some answers really soon. Uh, no matter what happens, the Warriors are uh, going to, at the end of the day, trade Jordan Poole. He's, he's like definitively like he's gone. He's just like Kuminga, except more pronounced yeah. because you already paid him yep. that yep. like starter money, right? So he has to go. You know, the way he just doesn't fit with the Warriors, the fact that they have to play these small lineups where you have at least a couple of holes defensively, starting with him, Poole, and then the fact that Clay has shown, you know, diminishing signs as a defender, you got two more or less holes in your defense that just cannot happen. You can maybe deal with one. Uh, you can compensate one by having elite other pieces around them, but you combine it with like, you know, inexperience, uh, veterans that are dying out defensively, and you look like trash on defense. You can't guard anybody. You can't rebound. Like, you don't do the fundamental things that help you win games uh, when Jordan Poole's in there. Uh, that's not to say that you can't build around Jordan. Obviously, you can. Uh, his abilities as a, uh, as a starter and as a bench player are just so vastly different. We've seen that. And we've also seen the ability to win with him as a starter, right? They, they showed that in the first 20 games uh, last year, they went 18 and two with him as a starter. You know, people forget that. Uh, and then obviously this year, they went on two different winning streaks uh, more than when Steph was, you know, in the starting lineup, you know, two different five game winning streaks with pool in there. So it's a completely different dynamic. Uh, so, and I think, other teams see that value in him. So as long as the Warriors have the will to move him, which they should, he's gone. So no matter what happens on draft night, he's still going to get moved one way or another for a viable piece for the Warriors. So changes are going to come no matter what um, happens on draft night. But you combine that with the fact that Kuminga is also, you know, he needs to be moved. We've already discussed that in detail. So him and Poole are basically, you know, similar situations. They're all trying to carve out their careers, their, you know, their own kind of legacy uh, as their own player. Um, that's their own player. That's a weird way to say it, but you know what I mean? Uh, as far as what the Warriors need, I've been talking about this since like November, right? They, they, they've needed the same pieces for a while and it hasn't changed. You know, I, let's see. I, in 2022, December, I listed some names that the Warriors could potentially go after early in the season. Like I lifted uh, Crowder, Caruso, uh, Pirtle, uh, Turner, Kuzma, Olenek, Vanderbilt. And, uh, you know, these types of players like Olenek and what's his name? The one on the uh, Jazz that the Warriors want at power forward. Uh, Marking it. Oh, Markin, Markin. Yeah, he Markin would be. Uh, yeah, right? he would be a big, big acquisition. So, yeah. yeah, like Olinick and um, Markinen would be what the Warriors are looking for—a space out, you know, uh, power forward uh, who can play alongside Draymond and uh, play good defense. And Olinick is like an actual backup center. You know what I mean? So. Bigs, they the, the Warriors need bigs, or guys that are playing that big position. To me, a power somebody who plays power forward is a big. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, there's no way to, a power forward yeah. and a center are your bigs. Otto was a big for the Warriors. So. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He played, could play the three, natural four, and could play some small ball five. Exactly. So these are the kinds of players that we're looking for. Obviously, I agree with you when it comes to OG. That is the kind of the number one guy that I'm looking for. Uh, I'm looking at if they got OG and put him next to Draymond and Wiggins and GP two. I mean, what the f <laughs> like talk about cheat code defensively? Imagine right? a, like a Steph GP two Wiggins Draymond OG lineup. Like that's insane. Yeah, probably defensive leaning. Like Steph would have to figure some stuff out, right? They might cheat off of Draymond and, and GP two, whatever. But defensively. Hey man, all you gotta do is run some pick and roll. You run pick and roll, it's uh it's lights out. That lineup would be a plus 14, 15 easily. Defensive, yeah. like you want defensive leaning lineups uh when it comes to yep. playoffs. And the more you have to uh rely on Steph to create things for you, the better for the Warriors anyway. Right? Yep, yep. So yep. I'm not worried about that at all whatsoever. Um, I still have You're complete right. and utter trust in mm -hmm. Steph to be able to create the kind of spacing and easy shots for and guys like OG, you know, they, they can finish really well. You know, if they, if they're in open space, they're gonna, they're not, you know, there are certain scrub players that need things to be very specific and very open uh, for them to convert. Uh, but for a guy like OG, who is also, he brings something unique to the Warriors in that he's very good in the paint area, you know, from a scoring standpoint, Wiggins is okay at it when he has a mismatch, he's got that little, you know, hook shot against much smaller guys, but he's not as good at that against bigger players. OG can kind of, you know, hold his own in the paint against like a lot of different guys. So if he has a, a sliver of space, he's going to, you know, he's going to finish that. So, yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, so offensively, you know, he's, he's, he's efficient and he's a pretty good three point shooter too. He's but, efficient with bad spacing. The, Toronto, you have Pres, Precious Achua, uh, Chris Boucher, Siakam, guys like even Van Fleet, who who's not necessarily like a sniper. He didn't really shoot the ball well this year. Gary Trent, who's streaky. Like OG averaged 17 on 47, 39, 85 splits on a team that had one of the worst spacing in the NBA. Now you put Steph Curry next to him, you might have Andrew, an Andrew Wiggins effect where he ends up being a 40-plus three-point shooter on six attempts, seven attempts, you know? When you're already an efficient player and you come to the Warriors, like your 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 efficiency is going to go up like crazy. We saw that with even a guy like KD. Yeah. Right? Yep. His efficiency just went through the roof, right? So, yeah, you bring in efficient players and put it in the Warriors system. They're going to be that much better. So uh, I think we saw that even with a guy like uh, Dante. Uh, his shooting was, yeah, you know, throughout. Shot a career high, 39, 39% from three. Yeah, yeah. So OG is a, a top name. I, I think the Raptors are really hoarding some of these forwards that yep. are that could be really good for the Warriors. Yeah. So I think they are a prime uh, trading partner, especially given that Fred Van Vliet looks to be uh, moving on. Look, uh, the Raptors looking to blow it up. Yep. Start with fresh, you know, young new talent. And start rebuilding. Well, they they hired um a, a rookie coach, a coach that's young. The it was a Grizzlies assistant, I believe. Very young coach. And then they hired Jama from us, who's our development coach. 
So the they're trending towards a rebuild. I mean, this is not this. There's no secret, you know. I'm totally okay with Jama getting the hell out of here. Uh, yeah. You know what? 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 If he's developing young talent, I mean, maybe he did. I don't know, uh, but we didn't get to see much you know of it, right? Funny? He, he, um, Jama and Dehan uh, Milohovic, who who was intended for a one to one Wiseman thing. Like he was supposed to be Wiseman's one-to-one kind of like footwork specialist and mm-hmm. skill work and that stuff like that. Dehan ended up helping Looney a ton with the rebounding, like positioning, angle, stuff like that. So day it's it's funny because he ended up helping Looney more than Wiseman. And then Jama actually ended up helping Wiggins with the like positioning and, and, and POA and rebounding and just finding spots to be efficient offensively and stuff like the funny thing is the development coaches actually ended up helping the vets more than the kids in in a sense, in a sense. That's funny. Yeah. But the Warriors need, uh, they need new, they really need some new minds uh, on that yeah. bench because this, this year was a disaster. It was terrible. So, you know, obviously we've heard some other names come up like Kuzma. People are talking about Bradley Beal, which, you know, I don't want these Bradley Beal and Zach, Zach Levine types. Uh, unless, unless they're moving moving on from Clay somehow, and they're able to move him yep. for younger legs, fresher legs, more capable defensively. I don't know, whatever the case yep. may be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. But I just don't see that happening. I, I don't. That doesn't seem like a realistic. They e- even if they do that, even if they make those moves, they still need size. They still need the power forward replacement. You cannot go into the playoffs and expect you know, long-term success or great success without proper size, without guys properly able to hold their own at their respective positions, right? You just can't be going tiny, right? And Steve Kerr has shown a propensity to do that this year. I think yeah. he's a little bit confused for one reason or another, thinking that size somehow does not matter anymore. But, you know, Draymond being able to play center, uh, He's able to play it. He's able to hold his ground against centers. He doesn't need a constant double team because he's not able to hold ground. That means he wouldn't be able to play the center position, right? Yeah. So yeah. you can't confuse just because, yes, Draymond is small, but he can hold ground at that position. That's why you play him. Mm-hmm. But so you can't just put somebody at power forward if they're not holding ground at that position. If they're constantly needing double teams, if they're constantly getting outbodied, you know, and just, you know, giving up easy rebounds because you're too small, then they're not playing their roles at that position. So no matter what, they need a viable stretch power forward type, again, like an auto type um, that makes the Warriors super elite come playoffs. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think, um, OG can can kind of serve that role because he is 6'8. He averages like six rebounds on a team that has a bunch of size. And I do think if the Warriors emphasize rebounding and, and the extra small things like that to OG, I think OG can be the an, an, a, a better version of Otto in some ways. The playmaking is probably his only weakness, but I still think that's something he can figure out. But the shooting is there, the slashing is there. The versatility is there, the the defense is there, and the rebounding is there. So we'll see. I mean, no player is perfect, but I do think there's also other options that are going to be available. Um, I know Porzingis is a name that's been floated. Personally, Porzingis or Cat, like, 
I here's my thought on that, right? When people bring those names up, is there a is there a scenario where GP two closes a lineup or closes a game over them? And if the answer is yes, then no, I I just don't want them. But there is no situation where GP two would close a game over OG Ananobi. Just no situation. Like OG can li- literally guard one through four and some fives. He can guard Jokic. I've seen it. And and then on top of it, he can guard Embiid. And he can also rebound. And he's also 6'8". So, like, unless OG's in foul trouble, you're really not going to play GP2 over him. There's a situation where if another team's kind of playing small, like the Clippers or something, and they play whoever, Nick Batum at the 5. And you got Cat out there, and he's just closing out, and it's just, like, hard to watch. You just got to put GP2 out. Like, you're putting a $9 million player out there over a guy that's making down near 40, 50. Like, Porzingis, same thing. I just don't know if you can close with certain centers. If you get OG, he's very, by the definition, a three who can play the four, who can play some small ball five. And maybe he's not ideal in some ways, right? He may have some weaknesses, but at the end of the day, He's the most versatile defender in the NBA statistically. He's the most. Um, You can put him on Giannis. You can put him on Brooke Lopez. You can put him on Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. Like, he can guard all of those dudes. He can guard LeBron. He can guard AD. He can guard D'Angelo Russell. He can guard all of them. And he can also rebound. Again, if you can emphasize certain things with him and, and playmaking and whatnot, like, just improve in certain areas, I think he'd he'd be even better. And he's only making $18 million on top of it. So it's not like he's making a ton of money. And that contract is going to last a few more years. So then we can make a decision based on that to extend and whatnot. He's a controlled asset. So he might be, I think he's the ideal scenario. Now you look at a guy like Siakam, he's the dream, dream scenario because he's a legit secondary scorer, secondary creator. When Steph sits on the bench, Siakam can run of the unit for five minutes and you you can breathe. It's not like, you know, you're just like holding your breath because Jordan Poole and Clay are out there chucking and it's they can't play defense. Siakam can legitimately man a second unit. So that's why with Siakam might be the ideal situation for me. Now, I don't know how realistic it is because we may have to give up a ton for him. And I don't know if we're willing to do that. And it would compromise some of our stuff and some of our depth. Some of our assets, but you give up a core piece for a Siakam. Core piece, as in Steph, Clay, Draymond. Obviously not Steph, but you know what I mean. Clay, Draymond. Yeah. Um, Wiggins, Clay, Draymond. I don't know if I'd give up Wiggins, but I'd give up. I'd give up Draymond. I wouldn't give up Wiggins because I don't know who would be our POA guy. Like I'm going to disagree with you, yeah. and here's why. Siakam, if you give up Draymond, right, to get yeah. Siakam, that means Siakam would be the replacement closing center, mm-hmm. right? If they want to go small because Looney sure. can't, right? There's yes. problems running Looney or whatever. You can't do that. Siakam is not a guy who can p- consistently hold ground as center. I don't think he's that type of, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's a he's a power. He's a... He's a tweener, small forward who's who's a power forward now in this, you know, in right, this right, right. climate of NBA basketball. Uh-huh. Uh, 
for for a guy like that to play center is like you have to be re- a really special defender, right? And Siakam is I don't think he's that guy. So from a defensive That's standpoint, fair. you're you're right. So but, but I think these kinds of guys, I understand I, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, if they if they can keep Draymond and bring right. on Siakam, I think that would also still bring on a new dynamic of issues. Like you do you understand how many scorers <laughs> are would be on the Warriors? Oh, like with Steph, that Clay, Wiggins, Siakam. Right. But sometimes what I'm trying to say is that sometimes that causes a problem of its own. If you remember, yeah. even with bringing KD. Well, here's the thing, though. Let me let me say this. Steph mm-hmm. is unselfish by nature. Wiggins and Siakam are actually very unselfish, too. They don't demand the ball. Like Siakam in Toronto, he actually deferred to Fred Van Fleet. He 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 allowed Van Fleet to run the run the team even to a fault. Um, the only player that I would ha- have a question about in terms of you know forcing the issue, taking shots is Clay. But like Steph would allow Siakam to do his thing. Siakam would allow Steph to do his thing. You got Wiggins figuring it out in the middle, and then Clay would be just shot chucking, which is a problem. So you'd have you, to temper Clay. Yeah, you gotta. This is it's that would make it really tough because you're turning Wiggins who should be a, about a 20-point-per-game scorer into what? A 15, maybe maybe 14 to 15-point scorer. You're going to have to do the same thing with Clay. I think to some extent you need to do that with Clay anyway as uh, his career starts to, you know, like we, we kind of saw. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we're overreacting uh, because of, you know, uh, w- what happened in the playoffs, I, I, his overshooting and these things. But if he just adjusts a little bit, I think maybe it'll be okay. Uh, but if you ask him to score, you know, significantly less, because that's what's going to happen. Like, there's only so many points you can score in a single game with yeah. this many, like, 20-plus point scorers. But here's the thing, though. I think Steph could be around 26. Siakam could be around 21. Clay could be around 17. Wiggins, another 17. I think that works. Because that's what? 47, 34, that's like 78, that's like 80 points between the four of them. That's like, that makes sense. That's like, look at Poole, Clay, Steph, and Wiggins this year. They were around 80-ish points, maybe even more, but it was not as bad. But you got to consider how much sacrificing Poole had to do in order for that to right. work, right? But, but also so, positionally, because that's positional. But right. like Siakam's a front court player, so he can be a play finisher. Poole is just a playmaker, shot creator. Siakam can be a shot creator and a play finisher. Wiggins, shot creator, play finisher. Clay and Steph, they're well, Clay's not a shot creator, but Steph is. Now, the only thing I would say is like, well, here's the other thing though. If Steph sits, see, I like Siakam running a second unit. I don't like Clay running his. I just if you look at the numbers when Wiggins is out there, when Steph is off, it's like horrendous. He just can't, he's not efficient at all. So it's it would be nice to have a guy that you can rely on when Steph sits just for a few minutes where you can breathe because he is capable of handling a second unit, you know, and and keeping keeping us above water. Yeah, I mean, I I think what they have is fine in terms of uh, play creation and stuff like this. Uh, from a yeah. back backup point guard standpoint, if they keep Ty Jerome, like I think that's more than good enough. Um, you just you know, there's a difference between asking a player to sacrifice to some extent uh, and asking a player to sacrifice to a great deal. You bring in a Pascal Siakam, you're sacrificing, uh, you're asking three different, four different players 
to all sacrifice from a scoring standpoint. And it's a lot of points that, that you're asking them to sacrifice. And Pascal Siakam averaged, what, 26, 27 or something like that? Uh, 24. Oh, yeah, maybe... Maybe 26, actually. Yeah, 26. Yeah, that's a lot of points, man. Like, we're not talking about 20 points here. We're talking about, you know, closer to 30 than 20. Right. So that's an incredible amount of sacrifice you're asking uh, for a guy like even Wiggins, who already was. It was 24. It was 24. It was 24. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. But even then, but here's the thing, though. He is very efficient. Like, he he averaged 24 on 47, uh, 32 splits. 32 is not great. But again, they didn't have a ton of spacing in Toronto. And he gets to the free throw line. Here's my thing. If you can get talent that fits, I think that's the move. Like, talent that fits. Now, fit to me is more important than talent, obviously. But if you can get both, then I think I'm living with the results. Because at the end of the day, like... Now, obviously, you need a guy that has the right temperament and demeanor. Like, he's not going to be a... a uh, a selfish player or whatnot, but Siakam by all accounts is very, very unselfish. And we saw him be the second best player on a championship team. Like those types of players don't, don't come around that often, but we would have to give up a lot. That's just a name, but I'm just thinking like when we talk about Porzingis and Cat, I'm good on them personally. When we talk about Siakam, that's the ideal situation. When we talk about OG, that's realistic and very, very ideal. Like it's very good. And then when we talk about like, you know, Markel Fultz and Wendell Carter, it's probably not realistic because I looked at, I saw an article a couple weeks ago. They're going to be the cornerstones for the magic for years to come. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're going to, you know, they're, they're not going to be moved, but who knows? There might be a surprise player that we don't even know about and things are fluid all the time. So we may be caught off guard and, and maybe someone gets traded here that we don't even know and never even thought that would come over, but we'll see. I just think, if I were to prioritize it, it'd be talent and fit, then fit, then talent. And talent matters, but we saw with Otto. You know, he's a great player, but at the end of the day, he fit. And then we see Kaminga. You would ar- you could argue on paper, like, Kaminga has more tools, like, from an athleticism standpoint. Like, he can jump higher. He can run the floor better. Uh, he's just quicker on his feet. But Otto, from a connective standpoint, just moved the ball better, could spot up a little bit better, could rebound better. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like those things matter uh, a lot, but, uh, yeah. Any last thoughts on, on, on that? Yeah. At the end of the day, man, the Warriors just need eight viable, like pieces that are going to be in playoff rotation, right? As long as they have that and then they can have, you know, decent pieces. They, it, everything doesn't have to be like elite. Um, but it, that's, a, that's just all a matter of what talent that comes, uh, comes back. So, Again, uh, see if if the Warriors somehow get Siakam and they manage to keep Draymond in the process of that, okay, you know whatever they have to figure out, they'll figure out. Um, yeah. But like like you said, the most ideal is like somebody who doesn't require to be like, oh, I have to score twenty points or else, you know that kind of. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. OG is like more fits right in as like yeah, you know a kind of do it all kind of guy without feeling the need to like, oh, you have to feed him or else. Here's the thing thing. about Siakam, too, is that he can rebound. He averages eight rebounds, nine rebounds. Great rebounder. He can defend really, really well. And he can playmake. He's he's one of the best playmaking front court players in the NBA. Like, the dude averages six assists, and 
his ability to play make is just such a high, it's at such a high level. His ability to just find guys in the corner, uh, catch and shoot, like um, in transition, and and ultimately um, driving kick. That stuff, his vision's very good. He would be able to find Clay and Steph for sure. He he, he has great vision. His dump off ability, like Siakam, is I'd argue maybe one tier below Draymond as a playmaker, and I would argue maybe even better because. On the Warriors, because you have Steph and Clay as threats, and Siakam is a threat to score, his playmaking would take a step. Draymond's inability to score, in fact, hurts his playmaking because there's less space for him to operate and find these players. Teams play him for the pass. Siakam, no way. You can't play off Siakam. If you t- if you play off Siakam, he can shoot and, and score. With Siakam, if you play up close, that helps his playmaking because now there's more space to operate under. So these are just things I think about, but... But like you said, you're right. Like OG would be more realistic, and he's less salary. We don't have to give up as much. If you give up pool and like two firsts for OG and maybe like another piece, that's a win for me. Like one thing, one thing I'll yeah. take into consideration is the fact that he does score like 20 points more than Draymond, and that matters right. too. Right. So if, if yeah, Draymond right. is gone and Siakam is in there, maybe it's a different dynamic, man. Maybe they don't have to go, you know small that's what i'm saying stylistically we could adjust just change it up yeah yeah okay i got you you know yeah. uh, but again hopefully we get the og situation thing yeah. like yeah. we've been talking about this forever if they got og at the trade that line the warriors are champions this year the warriors completely yep. wasted an opportunity and now uh bringing this all back to mike dunleavy he has an opportunity here uh because now the warriors are expected to make moves Rather than like, yep. oh, you want despite this and this, so you mm-hmm. don't have to do anything, right? Absolutely. So yep. let's see, let's see what happens. Yep. No, hundred percent. I appreciate you um giving your input and, and coming back on. Uh, if you guys haven't downloaded the Odyssey app yet, download it uh, so you can see our episodes when they first come out. Uh, I appreciate all the listeners once again, and uh, we'll see you guys next time after the draft. <laughs>